spidey senses tingling. He's the host who may have passed out earlier while hearing about Mio and Vodka concoctions. He's slim. This is the Paper Keg Podcast, episode 191. Welcome to the show. Uh, paperkeg.com You know, just three fathers talking about the comics they read When they're ignoring their children And wives, maybe, who knows Special book club episode With dear friend Pluto, volume one For them killers, give it up for them gangsters. One time for the killers. Uh, paperkeg.com. You know, we talk about comic books together that we read the week and then we do a book club. And then we'll read your letters to close out the show live to tape. This is the first time you're listening. Let's just get the bad host out of the way now. Least favorite host in show history. He's a father. He is a writer. All right, Let's just say that right now. Writer, Jonesy loves beer. Welcome to the show. Uh, once again, thank you for having me. Um, you know, once a week, you let me into your life. Usually, you block me, mute me, uh, try to. Un- if I were on Facebook, I'd be unfriended. But it's okay because I'm here with you now, and it's a huge part of my life. I'm wearing a fresh Henley shirt. You know, my wife made it, gave me uh, some shenanigans. About, uh, you know, always wearing a white t-shirt while recording. Maybe I should change it up. Here we are. You know, Jonesy, I can unfriend you on Facebook without you even knowing. FYI. That's probably already happened. I mean, is it happening right now? <laughs> Don't worry about it. Uh, Dale underscore I, VP of merch, Silver Fox. Mm. You run our Facebook. It hasn't been touched since early December, but it's Okay. You have one job. Welcome back to the show. Feels great to be back tonight. Uh, you know, I went and got a haircut today specifically for the show. Not that I was two months overdue of getting a haircut. While there, my new barber friend, Raphael, hands stinking like nicotine and marijuana cigarettes, offered to razor my hairline. And I was like, oh, I guess, you know, that's make it look cleaner he said he straight razored my hairline and now my entire head is on fire (laughs) i even tried to make it go away by rubbing hand sanitizer all over my head but (laughs) frankly that didn't do the job feels good to be here shocking that hand sanitizer didn't finish that off for you (laughs) irritated my sweaty earphones now in the same place the straight razor touched my genteel skin (laughs) Silver Fox, just thanks for coming back. We appreciate yeah, it. It's good to be back. Uh, final host, dear friend, we have an actual published writer on the show. She uh, <laughs> also draws too. Maybe you've seen his covers. You know, uh, Scotty Young, welcome to the show. 
Thank you for having me. I don't have any haircutting stories to tell. Um, oh, actually, I do have a haircutting story. Um, I was cutting my hair, and uh, my son got out of the bathtub and um, proceeded to tell me to get him a juice box. B uh, B word. Um, he's five, so that was very tough to hold back the laughter while I tried to punish him. Um, what are you going to do? Why you immediately ran downstairs and got that juice box? Got that juice box. Yeah, yeah, I didn't want him to gun butt me. I felt like he was <laughs> gun butt you. Yeah, that is a horrifying phrase, gun butt. I'm not even sure if we have the time to get into what that entails, but I have an idea. That probably happens down in Baltimore a lot, right, Jonesy? Or, or Fishtown in Philadelphia. I don't go to those places for a reason. I mean, it's rampant. Yeah. The, the gun butting, it's just, uh, I fear for my Jonesy life. can't go to Baltimore because you've used that as the Gotham City of real world. <laughs> of America. You're absolutely there right. There is someone trying to take that city down from the inside, and they may be a supervillain. So just roll up your windows. If you go there, you'll just run into like a, a Jada Pinkett Smith-like character <laughs> speaking as Eartha Kitt yeah. right outside the convention center. Scotty, I'm just saying, you, if you sit at that bar across from the uh, the center, mm-hmm. those as soon as the sun goes down, those choppers, those medevac helicopters <laughs> do not stop from the time the sun goes down to well into the early morning hours. Is it, I mean, gunshot victims, gun butt, vic, butt gun <laughs> victims, rampant. It's just, it's just dust till dawn up there, right? <laughs> yeah, just don't go is what I'm saying. Uh, so we have a huge show. We uh, we're having Scotty on, dear friend, also a father. You know, we had you pick the book club, Pluto, mm-hmm. Volume One, and uh, so we'll talk about that later in the show. And then before that, we'll talk about the books we read this week. So, what made you pick? What made you pick Pluto? This is a big moment for you. Obviously, you look forward to coming on this show for years. Yeah. You know, we've we've oh. exchanged letters for a long time. Mm-hmm. And oh, yeah. you know, how's it feel? You know, being in those shoes now, picking Pluto, living the dream. You know, it has been many years since um, since November when I discovered your show, <laughs> and uh, so I've really been really been looking forward to it. Um, I, there was a lot of pressure in what to pick. Uh, everything that I did want to pick was fourteen hundred pages, I believe, mm-hmm. and I figured since uh, you guys asked me to pick the book about a day and a half ago, I didn't want you <laughs> to. Oh man. <laughs> I didn't want you to have to read 1,400 pages last night because I, I also listened to the flap, so I know how much time Dale sets aside for uh, essing himself. We don't even know if Dale actually even <laughs> read the book for tonight. He could just wing it. He's got the Wikipedia open in like three different tabs. Yeah. <laughs> uh, it's, uh, I really chose, if I'm going to be honest, I chose Pluto – uh, a because I think it's uh, I think it is an amazing book, um, and it's one of the it's one of the times where you hear a lot of people say oh, I'm not really into manga, and so this will be one of the books that I will always say to give a try. But um, I if I'm gonna be completely honest, I picked it because um, I don't know any of the people that made it, so <laughs> I, can, I can talk freely yeah. about it. That makes <laughs> makes complete <laughs> sense. Actually, is a very good reason. Uh, spoiler: We're not going to talk about any of your books today. Scotty, so just get that out of the way. 
Probably better that way. You never know. Hey, hey there's a lightning round. So I'm just <laughs> yeah. saying, Be- before you get to your little we're running out of tape situation, I, I may just talk about my own book in the lightning round. You know, you we're, know. we're running out of tape, Scotty. We got to move on. So uh, Jonesy loves beer. You're, you know, you're unpublished, but we're just going to let it slide. By choice. You, By you've choice. written a comic book. But what did you pick this week? What did you read? Let's talk about it. Uh, this is not a new book this week, but last week. But I wanted to talk about Valiant's Divinity. You guys read this book? I have. Did not, I mean, did not read this. What a grip! Oh, of course, Dale. Uh, what a gripping first issue. You know, Valiant is this hitting out of the park. You know, I was a huge fan of uh, of uh, Archer and Armstrong. Huge fan of the new Exo Man of War, and uh, Divinity just has me hooked right away. You know, it's about a um, an adopted communist orphan who uh, is a subject of the government, who they train. You know, he's, he's testing off the charts, and they're going to train him to do the furthest manned space mission in history. And the first issue kind of entails what exactly happens to him once he uh, he hits the outer reaches. It's, I'm not going to spoil because there is some crazy spoilers in there. So I'm going to abstain from my usual dirty spoiling of a book. But you, this is one of those books you just have to read to get. Uh, fantastic art. Great story, divinity. Uh, pick it up at a shop near you. Diane. Uh, if we could, could we ask the vacuumers what they thought of divinity number one above? <laughs> it's Scotty's amazing. Office? It's amazing. I actually, I actually thought. You know what? I know that Slim has a stroke anytime <laughs> any sort of uh, deviant audio situations arise, and um, I thought, you know what? I'm going to do. I'm going to be. I'm going to be a good guest host and I'm going to come to my studio for the night to record because I have a very large St. Bernard, a child, a uh, golden doodle. I think uh, all types of things happening that produce noise at the house. So I thought um, I'll come to the studio tonight and it'd be nice and quiet. Little did I know that there'd be some sort of 1980s movie happening upstairs. I'm sure. Yeah. I'm sure. I'm sure the McCarthy guy from, uh, Whatever of the movies he was, whatever is Andrew McCarthy? Was he a guy in the eighties? <laughs> he, he was a yeah. He was a big guy in the eighties. He's probably up there with some sort of person pretending they're dead and and uh, uh, no, we're just vacuuming. We're just vacuuming. Yeah, yeah. Andrew Silverman. It's, it's great. It's great. Honestly, <laughs> Both of them. Silverman. You, oh, wow. Dale, you probably grew up on the, those movies with those oh, two. God, Weekend of Bernie's and Weekend of Bernie's two are are just sentinels. They're pillars in my childhood. I personally, I was picturing the vacuum guy, the cleaner from True Lies, as the Harrier jet crashes through the skyscraper building. And he's probably up there, Harrier jet incoming any second now. He's got his little Walkman on. It's happening. It's all happening. Uh, Let's talk about a book that I read this week. And, you know, last week we had a huge show. We talked about Miracle Man. We went through a lot of emotions together as friends. And later that night, I felt something inside of me. And it said, Matt, you need to move on. You need to continue reading Miracle Man. Because that's what the people say. So I did. I was up until like 2 o'clock reading volume 3 of Miracle Man. So last week we did 1 and 2. Book 1 and 2. And book 3 of Miracle Man is like a totally different series. It's It's... I don't even know how to describe it. It was very different. 
it had a contained view. It had a contained style. It had the same artist. It was an artist that had done some of Swamp Thing, so maybe that's why I loved it so much. And it kind of shoots into the future a little bit, into 1987, because I think 1987 is when that series kind of started to be an actual monthly book after it, like the warrior stuff ended. So it tells the story of Miracle Man has like constructed his own fortress of solitude in 1987. And he's like almost more intelligent than he was before. He's learned more about his powers and he's looking back on what, what happened in, I think 1982 that changed the world. So it tells the story of this, the story that I dreaded, uh, which was Kid Miracle Man getting free. And it ends mm. with something happening in London. And it was just magical. Loved it. It was amazing. I wish we did books one through three, honestly. That's how good it was. Was there any thoughts of saving that segment for another book club episode? Uh, you know, or we can... That- this. I think we should because it's less work for me. Because I don't have to read book three again. And I can just read like right. book four if we do both books at the same time. But there's one issue that was just, it like knocked my socks off. I wasn't even wearing socks, but I put them on and they got knocked off right away. Mm-hmm. That's, it was just gorgeous. It was like Alan Moore, uh, that I was expecting in volumes one and two. Highly recommended. Wow. Scott, do you ever read Miracle Man? Tell me about it. Uh, no, no. Thanks for, I've done thanks a cover for, for it though. I, thanks for I've done a cover for it though, I believe. <laughs> Which is often my answer for almost that that question all the time. Have I read? You this? know, I actually was going to buy it, but they're just too expensive on eBay, so I just shut the computer off right away. Just I'm out. Yeah, yeah. I just no, I, no. I know I haven't read Miracle Man, and in fact, I I didn't know much about it other than the you know the lawsuit stuff. And, and I think you talked about it. Was it last week or the week before you had started reading it? Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Um, so that was that's the most I know. You are my gateway wow. to hey. Miracle Man. Wow. So. I mean, so, and Baca, stay tuned Miracle for the Man. episodes of uh, the next Even one. We do Miracle Man three and four. Then, yeah, you know, maybe if you're free, you know. I wish all you guys would talk at the same time. It's so great. <laughs> uh, let's move on. Dan underscore a your VP of merch. We heard that horror story about your haircut, but what did you read this week? I my sizzling hairline. <laughs> I read a book from Dark Horse Comics. Eight is a book by Raphael Albuquerque <clears throat> and Mike Johnson. And eight is about a gentleman with a possible seedy past who volunteers to go back to the past and do something with a target basically so they during the process of going back in time he's promised you know one more night with this girl and he's like basically asking these people who send them back you know how do i know when i go back you're going to uphold your end of the bargain they're like you're just gonna have to trust us wink wink like maybe whatever they promised him might not even happen but he is uh going back in time to look for this this person that they show him a picture of, they say, drill this into your brain because when you travel back in the past, you're going to forget basically everything. So he does certain things to help remind himself of what he's got to do when he gets there. And one is drawing the number eight on his wrist because he has like a a pebble watch, Mm. 
which probably ties into the Pebble event coming up in a couple days, four, four or five days. But the the watch basically is his link. He can communicate sort of real time with the present day from the past he's in. He just has to turn it to channel eight on the spectrum of future watch talking. And he kind of gets a signal when he gets in. So he sees the number eight, he draws, and he knows he has to look for this particular target. But before he's able to do that, somebody through the watch tells him to follow the dinosaur. This dinosaur comes scampering up. It looks like a little compy, you know, if you want to talk Jurassic Park 2. Uh, he follows the compy, and then there's like this tribal group that come across him and basically knock him out and take him prisoner before he's he even remembers like it's all happening so fast he doesn't even remember what's going down but this book is stunning it's absolutely gorgeous the art and the colors the colors is the colors of the colors is very they're very basic like it's just mostly black and white with some grays but there's there's this coloring of like lime green and this pastel orange and this bright purple. Just the, the choices are completely amazing. It just works for this book. It's so beautiful that you guys should check it out. Uh, you know, check out the previews online or if you're at the comic shop. Did you, you need to mention that the colors isn't there a co- there's a there's a color key in the front, right? Yeah, and and each color is uh, signifies past future or present right yeah yeah you're right and i actually i didn't i purposely didn't read into that my first read through but then as i you know like 15 minutes before showtime i went back and and wanted to start like matching up the colors of the book through the to the front page of the or the front inside page of the of the comic and the past is green the present is purple the future is future is blue the meld is something else entirely. And if you start looking at the, the pictures on the pages, like the watch face is green or, or the watch face is green or black. I can't remember which, but yeah, it totally syncs up. It's like this whole nother layer on the book. It's really incredible. It's a gorgeous, gorgeous book. I think it's a limited series too, which means get it, which means hardcover in your future. <laughs> Oh yeah, I'm dreaming about the hardcover of this already. It's gorgeous. The story is by Raphael and Mike Johnson, and the art and colors are by Raphael too. Amazing. That Raphael. I only see his stuff like ever. He does like Batman backups, and he does American Vampire when that comes out. But I don't even like the Dark Horse stuff. Is just always unknown to me because I never go to their store to look at the digital books. But mm-hmm. outside of like Baltimore, I've even fallen off on Baltimore. So I can't wait for that to officially end so we can make that some kind of big episode. Oh. <laughs> oh, man. Mm. We just go keep going on and on. I, don't, yeah. I hope it never ends, Baltimore. Oh, God. What, what's happening in Baltimore right now? Did he catch the uh, vampire or is he still on the hunt for. What's his face? Um, he's still on the hunt, but they did tease something where the big menace will be back as the focal point. I think maybe in the next limited series, there was, it was either a Mignola event or it might've been about the Hellboy universe in general, but they teased some Baltimore stuff. I think it was uh, Baltimore and the curse of the sizzling hairline. Mm -hmm. (laughs) Baltimore and the, the gun butt at night. (laughs) 
Baltimore and the Medivac choppers that Jonesy won't stop talking about why he keeps drinking and drinking and drinking and orders two more beers as he's finishing his first beer. Baltimore. Uh, Jonesy is the first person that has ever um, described a scary city by how many (laughs) Medivac helicopters there are. That's all I can think about. He's checking. He's doing Twitter searches for Baltimore to see like the police scanner. Activity. There has never been an event in a city, probably the last fifty years, where there are multiple medevac choppers overhead. <laughs> I don't think it's ever happened. I feel Listen, like if a city has that many medevac helicopters, it's like a baller city, right? It's like, <laughs> oh yeah, absolutely. That's a pimped out city. They just got like helicopters everywhere, right? They're shooting each other in the streets. It's awesome. <laughs> <laughs> All right, Scotty, what did you read this week that you want to talk about? I read uh, Rumble number three oh, boy. Oh, by uh, John Arcudi, uh, the the boy wonder James Heron, in uh, in uh, Dave Stewart on colors and Chris Eliopoulos on letters. Um, James Heron is uh, like ten years old, and he's far too good for for uh, that age. And really, he's like twenty five or twenty six, and still far too wow. far far too good to be as That's young amazing. as he is. He's, he is amazing. He's so good. Um, I got to him a few years ago when he was first um, first at a con in uh, Charlotte, and I uh, he had a big stack of artwork, and I bought so much of it. And when I asked wow. him how much it was, I th- I thought you really. You really could have got me here because <laughs> I would have still – man, it was amazing. So I own a lot of James Heron's pieces. but So I read uh, I read Rumble number three. Um, Rumble's about uh, a guy named uh, Bobby who is at a bar in the, in the first issue and he is talking to a guy and a big scarecrow-like person comes in and chops up the guy he's talking to in the bar and um, issue number three of this, is, you know, it's kind of been a series where – it's it's a it's a slow burn series, so you're it's just giving you bits and pieces of this odd mythology. Um, and issue three dumps a lot of alternate world mythology on you. So um, the scarecrow uh, spirit guy uh, Rathrak is explaining to Bobby and his buddy, basically kind of weaving the mythology of his world and giving like who he is and how his body is, is captured in this other world and his spirits here in the scarecrow. And he's got to do it. To be honest, there's a lot of new names in this book. <laughs> um, <laughs> there's a lot of wrath racks and walk nons and a lot of, a uh, lot of information. And I was watching um, uh shark tank while I was reading it. So not a lot of it. Oh, no, <laughs> so you're just trying to figure out how to, how you could market uh, uh rumble. I was just, like- I was, I was just like, I'm in. And for that reason, I'm out the whole, like, for that name, I'm out. Um, but yeah, so this is this is the issue where you start getting a little bit more of the story about you know the kind of fantasy kind of strange world that he comes from and how his body you know it, it, his spirits kind of land in this this scarecrow being and how he's kind of hunting down these people who did this to him and it, really right now it's so early on into it that it's i'm still at a place where i don't i don't exactly know how to describe the book mm-hmm. because it's it's really slow slow rolling you the information 
And I'm sure, you know, once you get to issue eight or once this thing's out in a trade or it'll maybe three trades, who knows? Mm-hmm. It'll be one of those like, oh, it'll all make sense at the beginning. But right now it's like, you know, you've seen like him with the sword and then there's a crazy lady with a cat that's turning into some sort of beast and then a guy playing fetch with like a seven headed little lizard. <laughs> so, oh, yeah. Uh, His pet. Yeah, so I mean, it's really cool. I don't know where it's going, but I don't really care because James Heron is—he's uh, worth the price of admission. He's amazing. It's—it's uh, it's great. Yeah, the book is like you can't—you try to describe it to somebody, and you're just like trust. You just tr- have to trust me and read it because the like the little quirky storylines that aren't aren't really going anywhere yet, and I don't mean that in a bad way at all, but. It's like the 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 little storylines are so crazy, and you know, in in no way could they intersect. Like the little zombie cat, mm-hmm. and the the little seven headed lizard, and the scarecrow. It's it's so spaced out that you're like, where's the commonality here? But it just everything works about it. Well, and it's it's, it's a book. It's a book really being kind of set up by tone. You know, mm-hmm. it, it, it's not giving us a lot of plot at the moment, but it's giving us. It's basically establishing its tone over and over with each scene where, again, like the guy playing fetch in the, you know, he kind of looks around and he knows that nobody's there. So he's going to go out and play fetch in the empty lot with his weird demon pet. And, and, and that sets a certain tone. You know, that's like, uh, whatever kind of feeling that gives you. And the same thing with the cat where she keeps looking for a cat and she turns around, and it's in the fridge and it's, tur- it went from being a normal cat to looking like this crazy alien or, or like when the demons kind of show up outside the bar and they're, their banter back and forth is very – I mean it's – it's. I, I don't know. I would probably say it's like Whedon-esque in that way where if you ever watched Buffy or any of that stuff and I think I think, uh, I think Brian Vaughn does it a lot in Saga where it's these fantasy worlds but the banter back and forth between characters are relatable. We get it because it's not – it's not completely out of this world. They're still talking to each other like sitcom characters, even though they're demons sitting on a telephone pole or whatever. Um, so I think it's over and over just kind of giving quick snapshots of tone. Um, and we'll kind of get slammed with a big plot kind of world later. But uh, right now I'm, I'm having fun with just the, the, the plot or the, the little tone moments of it. And, and like I said, James is just – James and Dave Stewart together, it's it's – Man, it's it's bananas. I first discovered uh, James on Brian Wood's Conan run, mm-hmm. and I was just like, "This this is the stuff for me." I said to myself, <laughs> <laughs> "If you ever get a chance, look for." There was a story that ended up never coming out that James, the the place that I found him on, was. Um, I think it might have been like Dennis Calero, maybe. I don't, I, I'm not sure on that, but it was Santa Claus versus Martians. And it was like this insane, basically imagine the artwork and kind of like heavy violence and, and action of rumble and apply that to Santa Claus and invading aliens. Uh, it's insane and it's awesome. I'm sure if you, if you Google it, you'd find it online, but, um, yeah, I mean, uh, rumble is like a thing where, I kind of I like the fact that I can't say that it's this meets this. You know mm-hmm. what I mean? It's not like, yeah. oh, you know, it's it's Batman meets Pee Wee Herman or whatever. You know, whatever it might exactly. be. Whatever kind of Baltimore stories you guys cook up. Um <laughs> uh it's it's it, it really is a thing like you say you can't explain it. It's just yeah. it's a scarecrow guy spirit with a giant sword and he chops a lot of heads off. It's a recipe just, for success in my book. 
Yep, there you go. Two sentences or less. Lightning round. One more book that you read this week. Jonesy loves beer. Iron Fist, The Living Weapon, issue number nine. You guys may not know, but Care Andrews has agreed to write the story or, and draw the story of my life once I take karate classes with my kid in a couple years. <laughs> Lightning rebuttal. That's Jonesy's hope for every book that he loves, that the creators <laughs> write and draw his life somehow. <laughs> I'll get there. Lightning. I'll Drink get there. when Jonesy says on the show I'm dead. <laughs> Ivar Time Walker, number two. Time travel inevitably takes you back in time to not kill Hitler? Question mark? Great second issue. Plunder, issue number one. Modern day pirates board a ship that's the scene of grisly, heinous Crimes Against Humanity. If it wasn't for the great art, this could be one unsettling book. But the art makes it work. Feathers number one. Uh, Boy covered in feathers. Jumps around rooftops of a Hellboy-like world meets girl, comma, (laughs) does things, comma, in this world, period. (laughs) We're just going one sentence. Lightning round end. Drops mic. Pluto, volume one. Viz, you know, read this in print on the quiet car today. Oh, man. Like some kind of intellectual turn in pages. Mm -hmm. Right to left. People will probably give me crooked eyes, thinking I was some drunkard. Jonesy, what is Pluto? So, gezisht. (laughs) (laughs) Got it. All right. Got it. You guys got it? Uh, Gazisht is a robot detective, and in the world of Pluto, uh, one of the most famous uh, robots uh, that mankind has produced has uh, been uh, destroyed, and he's been tasked to investigate it. And at the same time, uh, a human is killed, so he's kind of got this caseload that he's got to go and kind of figure out, is there a connection between the two? What's the unraveling mystery? And as he progresses, it becomes uh, extremely clear that a robot has killed uh, this human, which is supposed to be impossible, except for this one case that occurred eight years ago. So Gazisht is kind of led down the rabbit hole of trying to discover who was again killing humans as a robot. And it's kind of revealed that there are eight great, um, perfect robots, I guess you could say. Eight incredible robots on the face of the earth. They're the best of the best. You know, robots in general are integrated into society pretty closely. And I mean, they're they're commonplace. They have AI. You know, they ha- they're considered having personal identities. But these eight are the 
the most famous and the most advanced. So uh, there's an interlude here in the first volume uh, that tells the story of one of those grade eight, and that's North Number Two, and he is a ex. Um, military robot kind of like the most advanced piece of machinery in the world for destroying other robots and he is tasked to be a butler uh, to this blind elderly composer who's kind of in the twilight of his career and he's kind of settling down to so i guess going to his golden years and he's you know crotchety so he's going through robot butlers left and right and uh this uh this war robot comes and's like uh, you know teaching the, me the piano and, it's a little uh, more you know, nuanced than that, but we'll let it slide. <laughs> hey, uh, teach me the piano. Uh. <laughs> this is why I get paid the no bucks, Scotty, is to do these beautiful right, synopsises, synopsi. So the the end of the interlude is this force that is destroying these robots has come for North Number 2. And then we have uh, we have at the end of the volume, you know, Gezisht is hot on the trail to find out who is doing this, and maybe a target himself. Pluto, volume one. Nailed it. Teach me the piano, way yeah. <laughs> and then they hug, and then that interlude ends. <laughs> All right, it's a quick one. It's the quick one. I I'll I'll say I have I know nothing about. Astro Boy, really, before this, so I don't, I, I don't know how many people fall into that category. Didn't grow up on Astro Zero. Boy. Uh, with that said, the North Number Two interlude blew me away. It's, am- I, it's, it's amazing, it's right? Stunning. I was stunned reading it. I want, I just, I never wanted it to end. I wanted just to read a book about mm-hmm. North Number Two and the composer for the rest of my life. Agree. The, the first time I read this. Um, I was I was all, I was one of the people that would say eh, I'm not really into manga, simply right. because I hadn't like I, I just hadn't been exposed to it, and I you know I I would just make that statement for whatever reason, and then somebody said, uh, well you should try this Plu- try to read Pluto, and I was like oh, okay fine I'll read it. When I when I read that section, I I think I tweeted that night. I had never had an emotional response to a comic like that up to that point. Like, like a, an actual, emo- not, not like what people say, like, Oh, that's amazing. But like an actual, like kind of feeling inside your body, like that you are, like you are like emotional, right. And in your, from, from words and pictures in a book, it, it had achieved it from that whole, because you could kind of understand this composer wanting to achieve this thing and him being slightly frustrated because he knows this mechanism next to him could do it with ease. But it's, you know, he talks about how fake it is, but then he wins him over and he sees him, you know, it's, it's amazing. I mean, from that point on, had that section not been in there, I don't know. You know, I might've been like, Oh, this is a good book, but that section won me over to finish the series. It was just amazing. Uh, I think, like the most touching part for me and of course that like you that's my favorite part but the section when he comes back you know north number two was sent away you know kind of in disgrace and he returns and the composer comes out to confront him and north number two is like you don't understand i traveled to your homeland i learned the story of your mother your mother never abandoned you because of your illness she traded away everything she had so you can take care of and not only that, 
I learned the song that you sing in your sleep and you can't fathom, and I'm going to play it for you right now. I mean, jaw-dropping. How um, And this is a story about a futuristic robot, but it, it touches you in a very human way, and I think that was my aha moment for why this is so popular. And we had a lot of other people um, that found out we were doing it this week that tweeted like this is the book that got me into manga or this I don't even read western comics anymore that because of this book right yeah uh, I mean it's amazing stuff yeah, karate chop uh, even tweeted about I mean the, the that the scene you just described where he starts humming the song to the composer like I generally dislike any kind of music in comics or when people sing lyrics that I don't know but you didn't need to know anything it was just beautiful storytelling and I was tearing up in the quiet car as as I usually do on my way home when that when the composer is listening to it and he's like realizing that his whole life was just filled with such hatred for his mother and it wasn't even you know it was almost all for naught and I yeah. was like I I actually got just as emotional when um the robot went up to protect him he felt like some kind of oh, threat uh, impending threat and the whole story, he's covered in this cloak because he's a war robot, and he's killed you know thousands of other robots that like him. And he finally reveals what he looks like under that cloak because it would be horrifying to most you know normal people. And I was like, oh man, he's gonna go fight, and he's, they're you know they're gonna he might die. He's gonna leave the old man like that. I was like really upset that that relationship would be changed. Uh- what's more about that is they don't choose to show <laughs> the battle. Like the battle is off screen and you just see the composer like collapse in on himself. He's finally, after all these years, let go of all the hate in his life. He's made what, you know, ostensibly what I would think would be his best friend. And, uh, he has to sit there and beg for him to come back. He can't see what's happening to North number two. It's, tra- it's truly tragic. Mm-hmm. The shot of, um, just the big splash page of the kind of explosion smoke in the sky with just a trail falling where you could see, you know, where the, the explosion happened. And then, yeah, there's the one trail that's the farthest that, you know, is north just plummeting to the ground. Probably, you know, it's the, the, the storytelling choices visually are, uh, th- this is when I thought, whoa, this is a class on storytelling that, um, you know, when we do monthly comics, is it's impossible to reach this. You know, you, you can't do this because this is all types of thought and and time put into it. Um, I think I think the other another emotional moment that's not involved in his in his, which I think this first setup is basically this first volume is is a bunch of moments of them basically explaining to you the depths of robot emotion and the different levels of it. I think when he takes, when he goes to the one robot's house to say that, you know, her husband has been killed. Oh um, yeah. That was the first shade of it. I think. Yeah. That exchange, because I think one of the smartest things they did in the storytelling here, um, versus like with North two, because North was still humanoid. He still had a very human head with a helmet and he still looked very humanoid. So there, or especially Geist is is still very he, he's absolutely human looking, but going to tell her that her husband resigned, she looks like you know like uh, Rosie from the Jetsons almost you know like she looks like a straight robot, and when he tells her and her reaction like you you get you know what <clears throat> when something bad happens to somebody 
and they try to play it off and they try to switch up the mode as if nothing bad happened. And he tells her that and her first reaction is like, come in, maybe you want some tea. And then she's kind of starts almost babbling to herself. Like, I don't know why robots, you know, I don't know why robots drink tea or why we have to eat. So she's, she's almost trying to occupy her mind. And, you know, anybody who's been through kind of rough moments like that knows that you're almost just trying to talk to keep yourself from thinking about those things. And, and watching that happen with a robot like that, um, is really a really smart storytelling moment that had they made her humanoid wouldn't have set you up for this world as much to realize like, Oh, these robots are really set up with all types of human emotion. And, and, um, you know, he keeps talking about her, uh, or no, she, when he puts the memory chip in her, like the last thing, which was, was crazy. So she got to see that. I don't know. There's that whole scene was just, set you up for the whole moment of mm-hmm. of uh realizing what these robots feel and go through there was a lot of um like a lot of those emotional moments were almost like very still slow conversations it felt like where mm-hmm. a lot of it was you know sometimes them not saying anything or you know the first comment after a lull where like you're just looking at the detective kind of and he's just you don't even know what he's thinking or even he's not, he's not being emotional. It's like his lack of emotion that is very telling of, of his emotion as strange as it sounds, which I thought was really cool. Mm-hmm. Um, but initially it looks like he, like it started out as, um, who's the writer Jonesy that does all the robot stories. Um, which robot stories? One, um, I robot. Who's the oh Isaac Asimov? Yeah, like it. I, I yeah. definitely got that vibe when I'm on first read. Like you know, the first robot, you know, that committed murder. You know that that kind of story is very familiar if you read sci-fi novels or even if you watch a lot of sci-fi movies. So I was wondering what kind of book I was going to get into, and I was even more shocked that you know it, it goes into a kind of murder mystery where he's trying to solve the case and the you get really a a huge piece of evidence when he's talking to that now widow robot, but then it just goes into that interlude. And I was really shocked by that because I, at first glance, I thought that North number two was going to be like the murderer. Like, is this the murderer? Like, why am I following this robot for so long? I don't, I don't even know. And I didn't even realize at the end of that interlude that he was, you know, one of the targeted robots. I had no idea, but it didn't even, I didn't even care because it was so good. Well, before, after he gets that evidence, which I think is a brilliant moment as well, when, when you just see that little, that little speck in the air of the character, you know, what seemingly jumping from building to building and they just, they never get really close on it. Um, you know, again, it's tempting, I think, in comics for that moment to show it back and then zoom in and show the hero shot of that person. But because it's a detective story, they're not going to give us that too early. But before they get to the interlude is when he goes to see, the the robot who got who who did oh, kill yeah. a human and i thought again from from a setup of an emotional place that was genuinely creepy like it is very tough i think that's the hardest emotion to get out of people is creep them out in a comic uh because it's the the, the nature of reveals are taken away from you so it's very it's very difficult to I think to, to creep people out, but just the way that he got into the place, uh, you know, there was like the weird little barricade. That was weird. Um, yeah, there's a weird barricade and the way that they lit the room. And then when you get in there, this robot is, you know, 
I think it was strategic placing to, to come right after kind of the, the widowed robot scene because you, you, you now understand that the, they're filled with emotion and feeling and sadness. And then directly after that, we get this mangled robot with its head twisted to the side, stabbed with a pole to make sure it never leaves. And, and so now you understand that this robot's in solitary confinement for a long time. He's kind of a little bit losing his mind. He's a little bit, you know, it's like, it's like a Hannibal Lecter moment of, I was going to say it's just as evocative, I think, as that scene between uh, Cody Starling and Hannibal uh, in Silence of the Lambs, that face-to-face moment where you have no idea where the conversation is going to go, but you're just like yeah. – your hair stands on end. Yeah, and he keeps saying – he keeps like kind of repeating like they'll talk for a minute and then he keeps repeating – Hey, switch memory chips with me. You know, like yeah, that was weird. He, like you, you know, know, we were like wanting him not to do it. Like you should just leave. Please do not <laughs> interface with him whatsoever. I'm right. frightened. <laughs> yeah, it just is. It's such a creepy, weird moment. He just keeps the fact that he keeps repeating that, and it's again, it's a it's a piece of machinery, but acting like a crazy person. Mm-hmm. You know that you don't think that machines and robots can lose their mind. And he, you know, here's a thing that looks very, very scary and and twisted and morbid, and he's and he's losing his mind because um, you think at that point, like, why don't they just turn him off? And even even he kind of states in there, like, all they'd have to do is come in here and pull this pull this uh, pipe out of me, and I'd die, you know, I'd basically be done. Uh, but they're too scared to even come and do that. So there's a lot of weird, creepy stuff in there. But he gives them some clues, and I think that's that was a good placement of that story right after you got the kind of setup of how how the robots kind of are, are filled with kind of humanity. Uh, if you want to switch gears real quick, you know, I was kind of really impressed with the aesthetic. And what I mean by that is, you know, we have this really serious detective story. At the same time, the art depicts kind of like, uh, and I was not, I don't know, Astro Boy, but like Gigantor was the thing that kind of popped in my head like this. The the robots are, are not drawn in any kind of severe way. Mm-hmm. I mean, Mont Blanc, the main robot, was kind of like a big, goofy, you know, kid-loving robot. And I really love the fact that the art was not serious and it was kind of almost going the opposite way of this super serious and deepening detective storyline at the same time. But I mean, I'm not versed on the source material. Is this the kind of thing that's in Astro Boy is like this? Well, type Ast- of art? Yeah. I mean, Astro Boy, Astro Boy would be the equivalent of our Mickey Mouse in a lot of ways. Um, it, it was that popular. And so if you look at Astro Boy, Astro Boy is very cartoony. Um, you know, little, little big head character with, with you know big red boots and uh, the 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 style was very bubble like it was big bubble soft so a lot of that a lot of the robot style leans leans towards there but I wouldn't say that there's a lot of visuals that connect a lot um, again it, I'm trying to like Astro Boy would be closer to like Mega Man in a way you know like that that kind of bubbly that kind of stuff not Gundam you know where you would where you're getting into kind of mechs and things like that um and Astro Boy was very light and I mean it was like a Saturday morning cartoon in book form almost you know so it's so this is like Mickey Mouse tracking down who killed uh, Pluto or something like that I don't well Astro Boy would be I mean again for the I mean I obviously we we talk about how it is but the the boy that he meets at the end Adam that's Astro Boy okay um Astro Boy was basically the first kind of uh, kind of robot kid, 
you know, like he was a, a father who had lost his son and then built this son to kind of replace him. Um, and he was kind of like a superhero, you know, the in the, in the Astro Boy book, he was like a superhero and I'm, I'm definitely no Astro Boy expert, but that's where when you get to the end and he kind of goes and he's like, Oh, you're Adam. He knows him because he's famous. You know, he's, he's right, famous so he's for a target then as well. He will, he may I'm be a target. Figuring that out. Yeah. Scotty Young, Astro Boy historian. Yeah, really? That's going to be your new tag. Yeah. Um, so, so CEO of Astro Boy histor- history. <laughs> so Dale, uh, your internet uh, took a steam earlier, mm. but what did you? What was your view on the the first volume of Pluto? Sorry for. Oh, we're running out of tape, Dale. I'm sorry. <laughs> yeah. This is all super rehashed. So I don't even feel like talking anymore. Honestly, we I didn't. We didn't talk about overall impressions. Yeah, we really only on. talked about North Number Two. Which I'm sure we you only know. talked about all but the last page, which I did just cover. I know it. I know it. As I let me get the letter sound ready here, real quick. <laughs> let's all take it from Gezisht. Yeah, let's all. All right. Just let's just do the letters now. Okay. Um, yeah, I, this is such a beautiful read. Literally, if my wireless is working right now, I was going to queue up Tina Turner. Simply the best. <laughs> But but after I rebooted my modem, I'm obviously going to have to run upstairs and reboot my wireless. I'm so hyper annoyed right now. But I, I mean, I was completely just blown away by everything about this story. The the North Number Two story obviously is easily the fave. But I mean, it runs the gamut from where when it's revealed that Gajist is a, a robot himself, and he's and the way it's revealed is like he's holding his handgun. But you just think he's holding his gun at pointing his gun at the guy at first and and how it starts getting into the mythology of robots can't do harm to humans, which is like what Asimov's like one of the robot rules, I think. Mm-hmm. You, robots can't harm humans. But oh man, everything was great. Like the 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 story running through the whole volume about how Mont Blanc was just this beloved being and everybody just everybody loved him nobody had a bad thing to say about him and it just like connected all these people together in ways that i don't know it's just like if you felt the love and it just made his murder a thousand times worse in the you know the true detective style (laughs) uh murder of mont blanc and and obviously we got we got some sort of serial killer on us on on our hands but uh, the North Number Two stuff, and and when I I just got back in, as my SE internet connection was was crawling back out of the the deadite pit, like with with the saw, the shotgun salt to his hand was you were talking about the uh, the creepy murder the you know, the only other robot murderer robot that existed, and he's just hanging on by a thread because people like what is that like. The, the story that's written, people are so scared of him, they don't even want to approach him to kill, to finish him off. Right. So he's just there. So much of that fear, that scene, was the mere idea that they got so close to killing him and they pinned him and they just left. They built a fort around that area just to never but go they, back. But there. they didn't even, but they didn't even build the fort. They, he even says, like, do you like their, ter- like, do you like their blockade? They threw up as fast as possible. Like, yeah. cause even getting in there, it's like, 
It's like uh, you know, it's like when your kid first starts to kind of like crawl around or walk, and you're like, Ugh, and you build like the pillow jail. <laughs> like it, right. it's not it's not really a solid gate. Like it, it's absolutely dangerous, but they're not strong enough to knock it yeah. over yet. So you hold that fort as long, and that, it just looked like this rickety like. Oh my God! Stab him! Throw a lawn chair and tip over the tip over the dresser and let's get out of here. You know, I mean, just the way the way he's illustrated, it's so completely frightening. His head is like hinged and hanged, hung to the side. He can't lift it. He's just there, and he exists, and it's completely frightening. So, yeah. so does the the does this story? I'm trying to think. Is there like an American parallel where? a book takes an existing character not really in that in that genre and then takes it and turns it on its head like does this exist in the Astro Boy universe are these robots a part of Astro Boy's universe and like is Pluto going to be revealed as like Astro's arch nemesis from the the olden days there's a very there's a very specific storyline in Astro Boy this isn't like the entire – this isn't based on the entire thing of Astro Boy, but there's a certain story that this is based on and then elaborates on. Um, I don't know what that is. I don't – I have the, the Japanese version. A, fr- a friend that knew that I, I like this gave me the, a Japanese version of it, but obviously I can't read it. But um, So there is a story that this is d- definitely based on. I mean there are tons and tons of volumes of Astro Boy um, out there, but this is uh, – I, I don't know how how accurate it is to you know the end, beginning, middle, and end of that story. The but the I mean just the the North Number Two storyline, just the composer and as salty as he is, and he's just convinced that machines are inherently flawed. They could never be as beautiful because they don't possess the human soul. So even if uh, North Number Two or that plug-in piece of machinery he's got next to his piano, like played the most beautiful piece of music it's just like it's still not you're a robot what 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 are you you get out he's like get out of here and make my stop making my tea because you do it terribly even though it was probably good tea mm-hmm. there that, he's just i mean the way well, his, well, his I demeanor think it, was um, i mean oh god it just made everything about the story wonderful i think that i think there's a lot of connections there that we can make in even the creative fields that we enjoy whether it's movies or comics where you know, for the longest time, and I, I think still today, you know, we hear the the fr- you know the phrase when we talk about movies that are like, oh, the CG effects. That movie would be so much better if it was practical effects. And it's mm-hmm. this kind of gut reaction that we have to things that I don't know that we actually think about before we say them because I think when we revisit the movies that we hold up to such a high standard that we're all yeah yeah uh, you know. Traditional effects. Now we're like, that's pretty brutal. And and I, I mean, so I think we can connect. There's so many moments in this in the in the book where they do such a good job of kind of playing to things that we understand without hammering. You, you know, like with him saying that I can get that, or or even in our field where you know there's a big there's often people that talk about traditional art versus digital art where people are using. Photoshop and Manga Studio now versus ink and brush and these things where you start to realize and even the, even the, the composer comes to realize near the end that 
you know, at, at the, at the end of the day, it's, it's the art. It's not about how the art's mm-hmm. made or who makes it. It's the art itself. That's the important part and what that art does to change somebody. So it's not about like, is it pure? Is it made by the ivory key or is it made by the digital button? Yeah. You know, like there was a, there was a nice coming to terms with that, you know, in the, in, in the course of a very short period of time over the book, and you know, that, that scene that I think was like the high point up until that point in that North too is when he was playing the piano and he's like, that's why I want to learn to play. I don't ever want to go to war again. I thought that was so oh, beautiful. Yeah. And he's just oh, like hunched God. over playing the piano, like emotionless. Ugh, ugh. Mm. Like he was created as a war machine. That was his job, but he still possesses enough of a, you know, an, an AI, like a, a thought that he, he even knows he doesn't want that anymore. He's seen enough. And it's just like, Oh my God, that, and where like it does more for you because you you realize like, you think about what it must have took for him to think like that since he was created to be that. Huge. Think just makes you <laughs> it makes you think. You know? That's what that's what it's all about. Just trying to make you think. Yeah. You know? It's it's hard for me not to keep going, like to keep talking about it you know, the eight volumes. Uh because it is for anybody who has read it or for you guys, I hope you keep going because it's, it, it only gets better. And it, 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 it's one of the books where by the end is amazing. Like it, Mm -hmm. you know what I mean? It it starts middle and end. It's all great. It doesn't go like fizz out and like, uh, you know, uh, he was already on working on his next series. So he's just going to end like, you know, this is like one of those true things that it was a vision and it was completed yeah. and it's fantastic. Yeah, I, was, I was completely regretful that I didn't order the other seven volumes when I ordered this volume. It was just, but I'm going, I, I will now. I put them all on my wish list, guys, if you're Yeah, we'll there. link to it in the show notes <laughs> if anyone wants to buy Dale. I have Dale's wish list. list. Maybe another modem too. While we're at it, we'll put that on the wish list. Ooh. Some, why, why was that a burn, Jonesy? <laughs> that was salty. That See, was salty. I, I can't even make like comments because Jonesy will think it's Ooh. some kind of vicious attack. Ooh, slim. Ooh. <laughs> what? It's kind of cold outside, huh, guys? Ooh. <laughs> <laughs> you know, I didn't make you salty, Slim. All right. Oh boy, yeah. I I had the other volumes in my backpack on the train, and I had to like stop because I didn't want to yeah. continue. I was, reading i was completely fearful that slim was just going to read everything as soon as he started reading because because i knew before i started reading i knew you took a photo of like the other four books you had and after i finished i'm like he's gonna he's gonna keep reading this i know it and he's gonna talk about it (laughs) jonesy how about that (laughs) right jonesy See, Scotty, this is what they do. Then they they dogpile on me with the trolls. Oh, hey, listen, I've listened to. Uh, don't tell me I would listen to the show. You were trolling me. I wasn't even on the show. You were throwing all types of elbows. All my I way. said was, "I'm just happy for your friendship with Dale," and I am in no way jealous. <laughs> listen of that to the disdain in his voice. Oh <laughs> snap! Uh, so there you have it. Pluto Volume One. I'm honestly probably going to start reading Volume Two as soon as we end here oh, tonight. Man. You know, you got to do we'll it. Get the Google Hangout. You got to do it. Google Hangout. Set it. When's the last time you? When, when's the last time you read 200 pages of artwork that was that consistent? Probably amazing. We, we foolishly planned all of Akira for one oh, episode. Yeah. Right. Oh. <laughs> <laughs> that went deep. That one. Matt that was a deep. Was that was a deep. Why did you Akira? Akira. Right. There you have it.
Yeah, we should do the next. We should do the next two through eight volumes in just a book club episode after this. Like this was a nice. I'm in. Oh, okay, nice. You're in. My internet, pro, you know, might be taking a day off, and my my cheeks are just getting flushed red just thinking about my performance. Next time I'm doing the show with Scotty, I'll probably be doing it in his studio because at least he'll have internet. I wish. I wish that there was a, I wish that your video was still recording you while you were off because I can only imagine the amount of like cussing. Oh yeah. And like frustration that he was went, happening. I mean, I was, I ran upstairs. He threw his shawl down onto the floor. I did. I, 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 <laughs> he just started smacking all of I his I disrobed my cape. <laughs> I love you. Why are you making me hurt you? I disrobed my cape like North number two did. And I just like, I, I literally, I glided upstairs. My feet are sweating. I had my slippers and my socks on still. I ran upstairs. My wife watching vampire diaries, but her phone wireless wasn't working. I ran downstairs. I went in the old cubby, rebooted the modem. I knew, I knew it just wasn't my time. We got your letters. I'm going to open them up. Farrington's going to read them to you. <laughs> letters at papercag.com. Oh! want to shoot us a letter. <laughs> we might read it on there. So you have the letters? On I'm going to be completely honest right now. My wireless devices are not working, <laughs> and I can't pull it up on my computer right now. So I'm uh, sorry. You, do I have somebody I'll, else? Might I can sub in. Okay, for yeah, you a might rare have to. letter read if needed. You might have to, Chancy, I don't know if you want to read one, or I don't know how this works. Uh, okay, I'll read the one from uh, from a uh, friend of right. the show, my wife Amanda. <laughs> okay, so I'll start. I'll start with the uh, the first letter, Re Miracle Man from. Uh, a recent front of the show, Gary, he writes, Miracle Man is an interesting read after reading a lot of Moore's work. What probably hasn't been said is that Alan Moore is really influenced by Chris Claremont's X-Men. People laugh at Claremont now. Do they, though? But he was a very influential writer with his New Mutants and X-Men. Moore worked hard on Captain Britain, another trade that might be interested to pick up as one of his first works. And you could tell that he was already trying for that tone of Claremont's work. Claremont is known for his purple prose and long captions, and so is Miracle Man. The There Be Dragons and the overall Kid Miracle Man story is another homage to Dark Phoenix Saga. I think the best way to read the storyline is a companion piece to Claremont's early 80s X-Men, around X-Men 200, or even Dave Sims' Cerebus, which pulls the same trick by creating almost a Chris Claremontian Conan the Barbarian series with a talking talking aardvark. That being said, this is not his best work. The reason why Claremont works well in the X-Men is that there is no ending in the X-Men. Miracle Man is a story that ends, so you can have these long digressions that open up the world but don't really have payoffs. Two, Warrior ties Miracle Man to a larger universe, which makes it a bit odd. The Big Ben guy or the Warpsmiths are all part of a greater Warrior universe. Miracle Man himself also ties obliquely to Captain Britain. Remember, this was meant to be an eight-pager with other stories packed around it. Some of these stories trying, tying into the Miracle Man story. So that's just how you did it. It also ties to, God help us, the Eclipse line of superhero comics, where Miracle Man is brought into their universe a la Crisis on the Infinite Earths. It's a bit weird reading it without those references spelled out for you. Three, 
It is hard to read this Miracle Man in the wake of everyone else doing their take on it. Jeff Johns, Warren Ellis, Grant Morrison, Garth Ennis, and Joe Casey all have done their tip of the hat to Miracle Man. Jeff Johns' arm-ripping-off Superboy seems to be a direct homage to Kid Miracle Man in a lot of ways. And I think this comes with the mystique of the Miracle Man trade paperbacks back issues. Because of the rights issues, this was the missing Alan Moore work. Mm-hmm. Marvel reprinted these in the 1980s when their Eclipse line was in reprinting a, when their Eclipse line was reprinting a bunch of trades. These trades were so rare they ran. This is unbelievable. These trades were so rare they ran upwards to five to seven hundred dollars on eBay when eBay started up. I was lucky to get Gaiman's uh, trade in the first Moore trade in Hawaii when I was a kid, and you could get these individual issue. In issues of Warrior or the Eclipse line and back issue bins if you were lucky. Seven hundred dollars, jeez! It was the, it was the, it was what these early writers were inspired by, either or by hunting down back issues or getting it when it first came out. So yeah, he's saying there that Neil Gaiman and these guys were inspired by this Miracle Man and back issues when it first came out. I cannot fathom. Buying a trade paperback for five hundred dollars. It's a different world back then. No digital copies floating around. Yeah. Easy Everybody's access. Everybody's doing to cocaine. Yeah. It was the 80s. <laughs> you can't get that trade in that cocaine minute. You got to pay seven hundred dollars for it. The best part of that letter being so long is that my heater right next to the computer flared up, so I was able to shut my mic off while it was going off. <laughs> I can't remember a time before that letter. <laughs> <laughs> he uh that's uh is that gary he's the same yeah. guy that wrote it about yeah. sandman too that set us set us straight he's got some great he's, he's some kind of insider that gary yeah, I don't he, know who he, is. he has to be he's on the inside uh um, of our hearts next letter it's simply the best at nimidity dear scotty welcome to the quote Better podcasting host than Jonesy Club. <laughs> and and that's her letter. Wow. Uh, thanks. Yeah. Ooh. Welcome. <laughs> <laughs> Thank you, at Manimimini. <laughs> that's it. We're going to clip that out. Nailed it. That. Jensen, you still want to take a breather? Should I read that? Yeah, message? sorry, I just uh, that troll was too hot, <laughs> too hot off the press. All right, we got another long uh, one. But I'm gonna try to, I'm gonna try to oh, got, pick it up at two I got X. It. Oh, you want it? Okay, yeah, I'm, I'm, okay. I'm on, I'm on here. Okay, Jensen's on fire. Uh, dearest friend of the show, uh, Panooch writes, "Hi, fellas. Uh, I am not sure just what these three have on you, Scotty, that they've swayed you into coming on the show, but I have to say it's a real treat for the PK fans to hear from a writer finally." <laughs> Uh, thanks, Dan. Uh, did you know that the Paper Cake Fellows at times do podcasts on movies? Sometimes comic related, other times Tom Cruise related. If you would, please, what is a favorite comic book film of yours and what is your favorite Tom Cruise performance? Very poignant. Seriously, it's incredibly cool to see you joining the show. Uh, Keggers, your Punisher film episode maybe have been your best movie episode to date. Uh, Listener Lightning Round. Uh, he he does eight as well. Daly says a fantastic opening issue that takes th- the time travel story in a very exciting direction. Uh, Albuquerque has a story credit on this one, but don't think for a second that his art is anything less than top notch. Panooch. Nice. Uh, tough questions. <clears throat> Scott, Scott, any favorite comic <sighs> film? Favorite Tom Cruise performance? Oh my gosh. Uh, 
I don't. My favorite, maybe comic book movie, is the latest Judge Dread movie. Maybe that the one mm. Dread. Is it just Dread? Mm-hmm. That was a good. Dread. It was She's really Dread. good, right? Like it was, was amazing. It was exactly what it needed to be. It just it was really mm-hmm. cool. I wish uh, I wish more people would have went and seen it so we could get more of them. Um, I think that's one of my favorites. And then uh, what was the other one? Tom Cruise movie. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Uh, probably The Firm. I think maybe. Wow. Wow. Oh, Scotty, yeah. sorry. Correct answer was Last Samurai. Mm. Mm, you know, I, I, I have watched Last Samurai a, many, many times. Uh, uh, yeah. But there's no movie on, in the history of cinema in which a human being runs like Tom Cruise runs in the firm. Just, just <laughs> right down that mm-hmm. middle of that street, like he turns that corner and he's just sprinting and the hands are flat and it's he's an amazing runner he could be an olympic runner if he put his mind to it i believe I th- it I, I think it's in his writer right like any time that somebody wants him in a movie like some people want green m&ms or you know pillows on a whatever and he wants to be able to run as yeah. fast as his little five foot four <laughs> frame can take him just mm-hmm. right down the middle of streets I think we saw that form, that gestating a little bit in the outsiders. Remember they had that, like, where they all went to the fight and they're all kind of like dancing with each other and <laughs> oh, yeah. each other really hard. Like they were about to make out at any second. You know what? The, the funny thing about Tom Cruise is a lot of people, like, since he did the jumping on the couch situation and he's kind of like a Looney Tune Scientologist. I'm sorry, they what? The jumping on the couch thing on Oprah where he got up and he was like, oh, I'm in love. I'm in, like, oh, that man. was kind of. That oh, yeah. that marks the turning point of where when people started to become against Tom. Like before it's that, really sad. Mm-hmm. it was really sad. It, yeah. I that was the tipping point. Block that out. But so if you but if you go down Tom Cruise's IMDb, he throws nothing but heat. Like his last eight films absolutely. are like all perfection. He's at the prime of his movie making career at his age right now. Oblivion, guys, are you listening right Jack now? Reacher. Oh. Jack, Re- oh, Jack, yeah. Reacher's, Jack Reacher. Jack Reacher. Jack Reacher mm. is. Uh, uh, live, die, repeat. Amazing. Oh, so good. I mean, let's go back a little further. You know, Minority Report. Oh, yeah. Minority Yeesh. Report was so good. It's like a movie that my wife always wants to watch, which is odd. That's not, oh, that's not a wife movie often, right? My word. What's your wife doing right now? Can we get her on the show? Talk she, about Tom Cruise. She's a, she's a <laughs> podcast pro. <laughs> uh, let's see. I have, you know, I, I, not that I just have Tom Cruise's movie list out right now. I mean, Mission Impossible <laughs> 2. Or not, I'm sorry, not 2, 3. The one J.J. Abrams did? Mm. Jesus. Mm. Little, little, uh, little, little uh, force, little force against the force against the side of the car when he's running oh, uh, running yeah. across the, the jet, bridge. The jet goes by and uh, flies across of it. Oh. <laughs> God help us and save us, please. Oh, my gosh. You guys should have had me as a host on the interview with the podcast. Vampire! <laughs> There's still time. We've got his whole movie library to go through. Oh yeah, we're just in the beginnings. We're, he's just becoming star of these movies as we as we yeah. get into well, it. Yeah, the lifelong goal of our Tom Cruise movie podcast is obviously at some point Tom to come on the show. We're just going to mm-hmm. sit with Tom, talk about his, his favorite movies, and you know have some vodka cider with Mia. Mm-hmm. There oh, are, that would be that. That would be the only other time my modem takes a complete dump, <laughs> <laughs> and I have to reboot my internet infrastructure. There are some one. I can't. There are some one-liners in in uh, in a few good men that are amazing as well. Mm-hmm. Like, mm-hmm. I w- yeah. if I had Dale-like recall, I would actually recite them right now. <laughs> Sorry, that only applies to say by the bell episodes. Ooh! <laughs> 
Yeah, that's all we got. Yeah. <laughs> I, I wear that mantle proudly. I mean, <laughs> uh, collateral. Oh my god, I almost forgot collateral. Oh, collateral. good lord! Interview with a vampire. I mean, obviously, obviously, we're running out of tape. We got. We got to. We got. Do we have any other letters? Is that it? Should I get the outro music on here? Uh, that's it. We got one. No, we got one. Hot off the wire. Oh, hot off the wire. Oh, oh, hot, hot. My uh, my phone reaching out to the slight 3G signal I'm pulling in without wireless internet. This is from uh, King of the Letter Writers himself. Hey, you peeps. Dived, back, dived in my backlog this week. So many books, so little time. Read today about Marvel retelling the Infinity Gauntlet during the upcoming Secret Wars. As Infinity Gauntlet is my favorite story, I was really nervous when I read that, but I felt a lot better when I found out Jerry Duggan is doing it. I trust him to do it justice. Listener lightning round, the Infinity Revelation. Have no idea what happened in this book, but GD, did I love it. And then he uh, signs his... What did he sign it with? At, I watched Guardians of the Galaxy four times in three days. (laughs) Fro. (laughs) That's how he signed it. Hashtag love that GD movie. I love the end, that climax scene where they're fighting uh, the villain and he starts dancing and they hold hands. Oh, God. <sighs> Spoilers. So, it's beautiful. FYI. Amazing. Guardians of the Galaxy podcast vampire. What? Is that what? What a show. Felt great. Great. Scotty, thanks for thanks for coming by. Thanks for having me. Bye. Yeah, this was amazing. Thanks. Man. It was amazing. I am. A, you know, I'm. A, I am amazing. You're amazing. If people want to support <laughs> Scotty, you know they can buy Rocket Raccoon out now. Right? Anything else they can? Anything else they can do to help out? Uh, come on by the website. I do got some sketchbooks that I publish and, and, and uh, sketches and art and all types of stuff for sale. So just scottyyoung.com. Speaking of Rumble. <laughs> That sweet sketch you did on Rumble. I didn't realize that was 11 by 17, Scotty. Oh, yeah. It's Gee, big. Damn. It's big. <laughs> Good Lord. It's on Bristol. It's just like it like it makes a little wobble sound when you make it wah, 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 oh like that. God. Oh. We'll, see everybody, in there. we'll see everybody next week. episode next week for jonesy uh for going for sticking to our schedule interview with the host cast vamp host oh that's right i I almost forgot that jonesy is hosting the entire show thanks for reminding me that's happening it's it's fitting because we're going to be doing once again Mm. daredevil underboss say it again underboss Mm -hmm. your boy alex maleve bendy yeah yeah Mm-hmm. Byron Michael Bennis loves to be called Bendy. Everybody knows that. Uh, I think you coined that nickname. Around <laughs> I don't think 10. that's true. I think you called him I Bendy. Think you did it. <laughs> so we'll do that episode uh, next week. Underboss. Mm. That's um, repentance for 
Spoilers, our first two episodes of Paper Keg sounded like complete duke. And uh, we have gone back, we're going back to make amends. Yeah. Doing the same book clubs over again. Gosh. You guys are, you guys are actually repeating a book club? Yeah. Yeah. Because the first two episodes recorded, I had two wires crossed and they ended up coming out like absolute dog ass. Oh, man. It was one of the worst moments of my life. Oh, bro. I mean, not that we need to retell a story, but I mean, I only knew about it as we just got in the two hour ride home and I was listening to the files on the car, <laughs> knowing for two hours that they were just junk, junk. Just killed you. How long ago was that? Four or five years? Four years? Five years? Yeah. Still, still keeps me up at night. <laughs> I, I can tell you guys are going to redo it. Just throw that heat one more time. Mm-hmm. Got to. I think Jonesy's probably going to wear some kind of robe, cigar <laughs> mixture with candles lit as he reads Smoking that. jacket. Uh, I love that run. What else, Have you, what guys, else, uh, you guys should also, if you guys like Pluto, you should go read uh, 20th Century Boys, too. Putting that okay. on the list. That's also oh, Urasawa and Monster. Oh. Monster's like a murder, creepy horror mystery. Except those are not I eight volumes. Those are like 28 volumes. Oh, my God. Oh, yeah. man. Alive. Yeah. They don't mess around. We could do 30,000 pages for a book club. That's fine. <laughs> so you would start on the quiet car four hours before the show? 225. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> we should challenge ourselves to something that you, uh, we, I, we yeah, are, aren't we? What? Yeah, we are. We're, cha- we're having pretty oh, big yeah. challenges coming up. Should we announce oh, that God, soon? That's happening. We, we oh, probably man. will have to pre-announce at least one or both. Yes. Two two or three months in the making we should just say it now oh, well man. i did text you an idea that i didn't get a response back from so i guess you didn't like that idea it texted me no, i texted you. i don't include those planning yeah, ideas obviously. with you jonesy I mean, we keep it just of me course and not i mean i don't even see the numbers do we have numbers <laughs> oh lord so what else is hot what else did you read <laughs> anything else what else is hot um let me see what else i read Catching up on my back catalog, I finished uh, Spider-Man something. Spider-Verse? Did you finish that? I don't think I quite finished it yet, no. Letter 44, that was extremely good this week. Yeah, I have to say Dale, you caught up on Letter 44? No, I haven't even read it. Never read it. He hasn't even read Spider-Verse, his most popular character of all time. He hasn't even finished it. Oh, um, the Frank, the Mignola Frankenstein book? out this week did he draw it or just write it he wrote it the uh, the baltimore guy drew it um, oh ben ben stenbeck okay i'm, I'm liking what you're saying it's good now. yeah so frankenstein is frankenstein's monster from the, you know the old old timey stories but that's only the <laughs> beginning he's been existing and, and it's like uh 1950s Mexico. He he's like is when the story starts and he's wandering through the jungle and comes across this old witch woman and is like in the middle of these Aztec <clears throat> ruins and there's this guy like watching him through a magic mirror. He's he's kind of like a collector and he just he knows of Frankenstein and he wants to possess him for his collection or whatever. So he sends like this angel, this angel looking person to come collect him and uh, the the prophet woman ends up dying in in the ensuing like tussle and um he doesn't she doesn't get possession of frankenstein or frankenstein but he like starts screaming at these aztec god 
monuments and he's like if you know why don't you just let me die why don't you just take me down to h and then like the bottom of the uh, ground falls out and he just starts dropping towards eternity and spoilers it was a great issue i mean it's just total it's more of what i love about that universe great stuff did you guys watch shark tank i watched the food version uh, <laughs> restaurant startup that's the one where they come up with a business idea, right? Shark Tank? Yeah. I had like never. The Lion's Den, I think, is the British version. Yeah. Or the Dragon's. In Canada, it's like the Dragon's Den or something, isn't it? Or okay. Dragon's no, Lair. I've never seen that one. Um, I had never watched it, and my wife was watching it. And I was like, oh, I, I thought about watching This is about a, maybe a week ago, and I had never watched any episodes. And a week later, <laughs> I have watched uh, like 59 episodes. <laughs> Good lord. I have been shotgunning episodes. I know so much about business <laughs> and product. And in, I just am walking around saying proprietary. Right. You're uh, primed now. Yeah. Would you recommend skipping a business degree and just watching Shark Tank? Oh, for sure, dude. It's amazing. Like, uh, it, there's something so pure about people just coming in and saying, here's this idea. And these guys, these legit billionaires like it's not like it's not like american idol was where they're like trust us simon cowell is a guy and you're like ah, maybe he's a guy i don't mm-hmm. you know we don't there's no proof that he's a guy but uh these guys you know there's like the creator of fubu you know he's a billionaire uh these uh, mark cuban owner of the mavericks and a million other things like these people are super rich and the people come in and by the end uh six months later some of these people walk off the show they're millionaires Mm-hmm. Uh, do they do? Uh, do wow. they ever do like um, Gordon Ramsay's shows? Used to come back after six months to see how some people were doing. Do they ever like bring them back on or do like remember they this guy? Now he's a billionaire too. Yeah, they don't bring him back on, but they do follow ups because uh, it is they these people are legit. They are it's legit. They are investing in them. They own a part of their company now. So it's not like it's not like we come on, you win some money, and you go away. We never see you again. Like. These people become partners with these businesses mm-hmm. for real. So yeah, they'll come back and be like, "Oh, when I went on Shark Tank, you know, I had made thirty thousand dollars. Nine months later, our sales this year will be five million dollars mm-hmm. uh, because of wow. the business." So I mean, one guy went on; he created um, a little magnet hook that you put on one side of your shirt, and then a magnet, and it, you put your glasses in it. But the magnet's like so incredibly strong. That they won't fall off. Um, it's like it's l- seriously this big. They went on QVC. He's like six months later. He is a multimillionaire. Wow! Uh, Holy smokes. yeah. So now you know why it's like two two a.m. I'm just laying in bed, like <laughs> shotgunning uh, Apple Apple TV. What's my magnet? Yeah. What is my? And magnet? I'm just like waking up my pregnant my wife. Like, ah, wake up, wake up. Yeah. Invent something. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. Yeah. Taking notes down. Yeah. <laughs> right. And you're only what we don't see on the other side of the studio wall is like the the big uh the big wall with like newspaper articles and red yarn like what is your <laughs> Yeah, there's string no, attaching you, them to each piece and like Right dots. off the camera that you don't see is 3700 boxes of my uh special peanut butter that's made from uh <laughs> that's made from some sort of fly saliva <laughs> that's <laughs> supposed right. to supposed to help acne. <laughs> That happened when uh, I first watched that Ghost Adventures show with my wife, 
And you that invented was, peanut like, butter that helped acting? I invented mm-hmm. peanut butter that uh, found ghosts. <laughs> <laughs> so I'm eating some right now. But that one had like seven seasons on Netflix, so it was yeah. like all we did for however long. I love it. We call it Shark Taint. We just go to town each night. You ready for some? Just get nuts. <laughs> yeah, like that's how wild our life is, you know. <laughs> like I, like I finish, I finish doing some writing, and then I'll say because I'm because I'm a writer. Um, yeah, right. finish just writing and uh, and uh, call up to the wife. You ready for some Shark Taint? And of course, she's very excited, and she falls asleep within two and a half minutes. <laughs> Uh, and you're I'm, just your eyes are open, <laughs> just uh, just laying in bed like, yeah. You tell him, Cuban. <laughs> yeah, exactly. The, no uh, deal. The uh, I, I, I see previews for that show because they're like the food version is essentially the same thing. But I always see like the preview like next week on Shark Tank, and it's always like the investor doing something zany with a product. Like here's a product that turns you upside down for three minutes, and then they show like one of the guys like, oh, I'm doing it too. Look at me. And they're like, tune in. <laughs> The nice thing about this show versus all the other shows like that, like like the restaurant one has the guy from MasterChef, right? Joe Bastianich, my hero. Oh, God. Is it MasterChef? <laughs> Is that the show I'm talking about? Yeah, that's a, that's a that great show, too. Br- brutally real show. That's real. It's, that's as real as it gets. It's definitely not planned at all. They don't get recipes um, at all. That's no, not, that doesn't happen. No. <laughs> uh Unlike that one, this one doesn't have a lot of. There's not a, a whole lot of dance going on. There's no. There's no like. There's none of that stuff. It's very simple. It's here's my product. Sometimes they are like, get out of here. Like take that product out back, shoot it in the face. Mm-hmm. Like please don't put any more money into that product. You will be broke. Or sometimes they'll come in. Somebody have a product and their eyes light up. You can tell that these billionaires know ex- – like mm-hmm. there's one la- there's one woman on there that's like um, very QVC like mm-hmm. driven. So she's like – she's made her millions and millions on QVC. So when somebody comes in with like a sponge that cleans up pan with a smiley face on it and it just – her eyes get so big that she's just ready to murder everybody in that room so she can partner with this person and make millions. <laughs> um, but it's so simple like that. They don't do – they don't do a lot of the drama uh, that a lot of the other shows, you know, where it's like got a, a video package leading up to it where somebody's like walking along the chain link fence, like my life, you know, playing piano, you know, like, oh, my life, uh, you know, I got shot here once and, you know, whatever. Right. And now they're going to pitch their dream. Uh-huh. It's, you know, it's really just like, uh, and a lot of times if someone in the pitch tries to pull that, like, I was a single mom and I just, and they'll just be like, we don't care about that. We care about money. Mm-hmm. <laughs> like, if your story doesn't have to do with how we will make money, we can't give you the money. Uh, so, mm-hmm. so it's nice. It's not a lot of Gordon Ramsay drama, which I, I got into that for a while too. But I had to. He was. He just gives me anxiety attack. Come on, he is. He's an amazing man, hands down. It, w- w- through years of watching Gordon Ramsay shows, there's always one constant in his non like American shows. Uh, except for, uh, what is it, Hell Hotel, he will appear shirtless or in his underwear every episode. <laughs> <laughs> and I've seen maybe 300 shows that he's been in, and like, it's amazing. Like Tom Cruise running in a movie. <laughs> yeah. That's This is Gordon Ramsay. Well, there was one show called The F Word uh, that appeared in Britain, and I guess it was geared towards women because the, the intro is him walking through an aisle taking his clothes off 
and changing into like a chef outfit. And that, mm-hmm. that is the intro. That's real life. And it's amazing. <laughs> it's real life. Hell, Hell Hotel. Hell Hotel's bit is he will always try the bathtub. He'll like take his clothes off, take his robe off and jump Jesus. in the bathtub or the shower. It's so weird. <laughs> and I've I was just a, it up. I was a food network junkie for a long time. But I feel like they don't do many like food they don't seem to do like food food shows anymore. Like at night like mm-hmm. the the night shows are all like I don't know. It doesn't feel like feel it's all like hidden. And it's all hidden camera stuff of like we're gonna we're gonna slyly catch this person giving away beer out the back door. Like, yeah. <laughs> I want you to teach me how to make a chimichanga. I don't care about right. this guy stealing liquor. Yeah, there's the food shows are everywhere. Like you could Netflix just got a bunch of like series. I think Chopped. They have like almost all of Chopped now on Netflix. Chopped has. 400,000 episodes. Yeah. That show is on seven times a day and there's never a rerun. I don't think I've ever seen it's a like rerun. The, it's like the news. Chopped <laughs> is like the news. You could just watch an episode for the rest of your life and never see it twice. What's his name? Is it Tim? What's, uh, what's, what's, uh, what's the, I know, the I know host? that guy, but I don't know what his name is. Alan, something Alan? Is it yeah, something he's Alan? from Queer Eye for the Straight Guy, right? I think. Yeah. Oh, I, that guy. Yeah. He might be he might be Geist or whatever from Pluto. He's just a robot because he's like they're just recording episodes of Chopped around the clock. Like, right, could, yeah. all right, open your baskets. You have to make it with hot dog, uh, strawberry jelly, and well, there's there's avocado. another there's another show where this even weirder dude. Um, you compete with three chefs, and then you're given ingredients, but then you're also given like ten grand. And then you could pay to now remove an ingredient from one of your contestants. Oh, that's Alton Brown. Mm. Uh, I don't even right? know who that is, but I think you're right. Oh. I've never seen him or anything else. Alton Brown's like a food genius. Like he's a little. I think he's in our town coming up this in this month. Like where he's he's like before yeah, he the, was just there. Yeah, in, Pe- in Peoria or something. Yeah. Whoa, How just, would you even whoa. know that Alton Brown whoa. is hanging out in first Peoria? Of all, first of I all, I follow this his Twitter. <laughs> You follow, so you're following something. This is getting pretty creepy. Now, Dale, reveal just, yourself from behind, Scotty. I don't know why I've got Why are you eating my here. peanut butter? When I tell you that he was, Alton Brown was in Pura, Illinois at the convention center signing autographs the other day. Listen, nobody would have known. Like, I've never Dale, what color shirt was he wearing? That's all I want to know. What color shirt? <laughs> I'm not going to tell you. <laughs> I happen to be an Alton Brown fan. And he does Alton Brown live. When he was in Peoria, Illinois. <laughs> Peoria. At, at, at doing a pop-up autograph session. Yeah. So get off my back. <laughs>